You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. Hello, this is Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. Uh, my name is Max Sloves. I'm the guest host for today. And I think one of the themes you'll see in, in this show, in Unite and Heal with America with Matt Mattern, is precisely that, that theme of, of unity and healing in times of great division, seeking out the people who can bring us together in common cause. One of those common causes is the environment. So we have with us today Bruce Horwitz of Ripe Landscapes, who is going to discuss one way to approach our relationship on an individual and community level to the environment, and that is through permaculture. Bruce, welcome to the show. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. Bruce, I thought we would start off with with the very basics, just the word permaculture. I think for some people, it's it's a regular part of their vocabulary. For a lot of people, it's probably something that's not super well-defined. Um, how can we describe what permaculture is? Well, that is um, a big question, actually, because permaculture is many things, and it is also a uh, very specific thing. So I'll talk a little bit about the root of the, world, of the word. So it came from the idea of how could we create a permanent agriculture i.e. an indefinitely sustainable agriculture. And it's evolved into basically how can we create a permanent culture, an indefinitely sustainable culture. Um, And I could tell you a little bit about the origin of the whole modality and then explain a little bit of what it is uh, to get started. How does that sound? That sounds great. Okay. So um, we got to rewind back to the 70s. Um, and there is an Australian professor named Bill Mollison uh, from Tasmania, who in a past life was a forester and a rainforest ecologist. Um, and during his time observing the tropical rainforest, which is the most productive ecosystem on the planet, he started pondering, why are we growing food just at one level with so much work and so many inputs? How come we're not growing food like the rainforest does, uh, which doesn't need any inputs? It doesn't need fertilizer. It doesn't need irrigation. um, And it's incredibly abundant. It's growing food at all these different levels. Like if you imagine a rainforest, a rainforest has biomass, leaves, plant matter, flowers, vines, all kinds of stuff growing at all these different levels. So it's it's amazingly abundant in a three-dimensional way. Um, and compared to agriculture, which is like a field of cabbage is just growing right at the ground level. Right. So he started thinking, well, how come we're not growing food? Like a forest grows food. How come we're not growing food at all these different levels, um, in a way that's self-sustaining where it's actually fertilizing and irrigating itself and shading, 
Uh, it's and shading itself and different plants are finding their niche and they're supporting each other and they're all uh, producing all these different functions. Um, and at the same time, actually what, 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 what he discovered and what he realized is they're also um, providing ecosystem services. So they're also, I mean, if you think about a forest, it's also producing loads of oxygen. It is sequestering carbon and all the biomass. It's, it's creating soil. Um, it's slowly percolating water into the landscape and recharging aquifers. So it's basically this incredibly positive environmental feature um, that exists naturally. And in fact, it's what all ecosystems tend towards is they, is they try to create forests and the tropical rainforest being the most productive one, um, which he was familiar with. So he decided to design an agriculture based on that model. So instead of just being a one level uh, kind of two-dimensional agriculture, it was the idea of creating a mixture of perennial plants like fruit trees, bushes, vines with annual plants like the vegetables that we like to eat um, and stacking them in at all these multiple levels. Um, and so he and a graduate student named David Holmgren started to experiment with this idea. And what they discovered is that it works. And it, and, but they also realized it totally went against the grain. It was, it was absolutely completely different than our modern conception of agriculture, um, which is a bunch of very neat fields with tractors going through them and spraying fertilizers, I mean, spraying pesticides and applying fertilizers. So um, they started in a really small scale, like how can we create these, what they called plant assemblies or polycultures, um, where, um, for example, in the tropics, you might have some banana trees with papayas, with pineapples, with some perennial chili peppers, and then a ground cover of peanuts or something. Um, and basically for people who are on the cutting edge of agriculture and who were at this time realizing that mainstream agriculture was causing a lot of problems. I mean, we have to remember this is the, this is the era of Silent Spring by Rachel Carlson, which was a wake up call of the use of pesticides. Um, this was the era uh, after this widespread implementation of the so-called green revolution in the so-called developing world where was a big shift from sustainable small farming to bigger kind of macro farming using that model that was uh, heavily dependent on inputs like fertilizers and pesticides and herbicides. Um, and so this was a revolution kind of uh, forward in a sense that it was thinking beyond what was, what was already there. But actually, it was also the way that small farmers in a lot of places in the world, we're actually already doing this before the Green Revolution. So if you went to uh, a backyard in Vietnam or, in, or a small plot in Mexico, for example, you would see them growing plants and polycultures. One example is the Three Sisters Guild that a lot of us have heard about, which is corn, beans, and squash, which is a traditional American way to grow, um, to grow corn. But you don't just grow corn, you also grow squash and you, go you grow beans. And the beans are climbing up the corn. So they're using the corn as a trellis. And, but they're also fixing nitrogen because beans are nitrogen fixers. So they're providing nitrogen for the corn. 
And then the squash is a ground cover, which is covering the ground and helping keep the moisture in. So, I mean, that's kind of it in a nutshell, so to speak. So it's just a revolution in agriculture into a very three-dimensional, what we call a stacked and packed system. Um, and how it started to evolve is they, is they decided that they would just start running trainings and they would take these trainings to parts of the world that really needed this. So they started doing trainings in Africa, in Asia, places where there was a lot of food insecurity. And they started having these incredible results with areas, for example, in, in India, which were becoming desertified through their transition to more mainstream agriculture, they were able to rebuild soil, replenish aquifers, um, basically reverse drought conditions, actually. Um, and, and they created, they, they wanted this to be a really grassroots movement. Um, so they created these certifications, this permaculture design certification, which is like a two or three course, I actually teach those. And I'll talk about one that I have coming up uh, at the end of the show. Um, and they started teaching those. And then training teachers to become teachers. So the students became teachers, trained more students. And it's really spread from being a very small kind of, you know, fringe movement where people who were into organic agriculture started hearing about it and taking these trainings and realizing, oh, my God, there's even better than organic agriculture are these perennial polyculture systems because you're really you're able to grow so much more food and you're able to do it in a way that's really beneficial for the environment. Um, and now it's really, it's spread all over the place. And then the evolution to a permanent culture was that the principles, because what they did is they derived a set of principles that guides this, so a very simple set of principles and a set of ethics that guide the whole system. And then they realized that these principles and ethics were actually applicable to all facets of life. They were applicable to how you build homes, how you heat or cool homes. Um, how you build villages. So it's a, so it, it expanded from being permanent agriculture to, to permanent culture. So it's a modality that's started very grassroots, um, was about uh, a better way of doing agriculture, and has really spread into a worldwide movement of a lifestyle of basically, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of going through it and I'm hyper blitzing something that's a big topic, um, but it's become a lifestyle movement of how do we become hyper-local and start to, and, and how do we engage with our environment? Because if you create these polycultures, you actually have to become a part of it. So what you're doing is you're, is you're basically creating a cultivated ecosystem. So you're planting all these plants around you, maybe digging some ponds, um, uh, putting in some greenhouses, maybe building a house in just the right place. So suddenly you've got an ecosystem that you need to manage because you've got all these food plants and you're all, it's not just food, you're also producing fiber, medicine, building materials. And it, it just became this really big lifestyle movement, um, which we'll talk more about. Uh, Bruce, you, you raised so many issues in, in that, that expose of permaculture that, that uh, I, I find really provocative that I want to dig more into. Um, we'll take a break now and we'll be back in a moment to explore uh, some of these issues of permaculture as um, something on a plant level, but something on a human level as well, uh, something that is both environmental and social. And uh, we'll do that when we come back. This is Max Slow sitting in for Matt Mattern on Unite and Heal America. 
Hello, this is Max Sloves. I'm sitting in for Matt Mattern on Unite and Heal America with Matt Mattern. Uh, we're speaking today with Bruce Horowitz about permaculture. So Bruce, in, in the last segment, uh, you gave us an overview on, uh, on permaculture, um, what it is, and not just what it is, but some of the different things that it can be. Um, and a few things really left out of me. One was you, uh, what you described to me it sounded essentially like, like fruits, vegetables, plants in and of themselves collaborating and creating. So, so the plants are creating their own collaborations. The plants are creating their own synergies once you set them up properly. And, and it actually sounds like less work for humans. Is, 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 that, it like, is, is that accurate? I mean, when, like once, you, once you get these systems up and running, is it, is it more efficient and, and kind of almost more hands-off? Or, or does it take more, um, more attention, more awareness, more, more care? Uh, yeah, I would say um, it definitely requires care. But in the – well, there's two distinctions I want to make. One is that, yes, these plants are doing a lot of the work for you. And that is one of the principles of permaculture is let nature do the heavy lifting. Um, so on, it, is, it, is, it requires uh, attention to design, how you set up these systems. You do have to monitor them. You do have to manage them. Eventually, the idea would be that the, the, most of the work you're doing is harvesting. Um, eventually, once these systems reach maturity and they're highly productive, really, you're just wandering around harvesting a huge abundance of food um, or medicine or building materials. Um, that said, there is a slight difference in that, for example, in a traditional, not a traditional, in a modern agriculture system, there's a huge reliance on a lot of machinery. So you would have tractors and plows and here where I live, berry pickers and things that are very mechanized using a lot of fossil fuels. And we know about, um, you know, the impact of that, right? Uh, and also the use of those machines is really deleterious on the land itself. You know, they're basically losing a lot of soil, compacting soil. Um, you know, there's a lot of infiltration of chemicals and things into aquifers, into watersheds. So because permaculture has a little bit more of, a, actually a lot more of an emphasis on doing things by hand, it doesn't mean you can't use machines. So a lot of times we'll use tractors or bulldozers to establish a system, but then we want to shift over to a non-fossil fuel reliant system. So in that sense, it might appear that there's a little bit more work because you actually have to engage. You have to be out there observing and interacting with the system. Um, but it's a different kind of work because we're not, we're not jumping on tractors and there's so much uh, embodied energy and embodied impacts in just driving a tractor, for example. Um, and so we're doing things in a more organic sort of human scale way. So I would say that it's, over time, a system would require less work, but it requires engagement. And for me, this is the deeper, deeper level of permaculture, which is that um, if you've built an ecosystem around you to meet your needs, you have to participate with it. Um, and for me, that's actually, I mean, that's the job description of being a human being, actually, that we've sort of, we've lost in our modern world, in our division of labor, modern era. and in I think there's something very embedded in the human DNA about really engaging with your environment in a way that's beneficial. 
and the benefits you. So if you've planted a whole bunch of fruit and nut trees and some timber bamboo and a bunch of medicinal herbs and a lot of flowers, and uh, you have different supporting plants in there that are going to create mulch or fix nitrogen or create shade or just create habitat or beauty, you're going to need to get in there and do some management of that system. And now in, in, in that management of the system, there's you could have multiple yields. You could go out one day and you can end up with a basket of nuts, a basket of fruit, some bamboo to build something with, a bunch of medicine, a bouquet of flowers for your sweetheart. And so, you know, you're out there engaging with the environment. Um, and, but the cool thing is, in my, in, in my experience is, yes, there's work, but a lot of it is so enjoyable that it doesn't feel like work. Because when you're out there picking flowers for your sweetheart or harvesting certain medicinals or whatever, it's like, it's like a little more work on, in moments. Um, and it's definitely, you know, it takes a lot more work, for example, to, you know, I, re- I have a bunch of grapes here in my place and I, I, I made wine last year. So for me to make wine was a lot of work compared to like going to the store and just buying a bottle of wine. So in that sense, it was more work. Um, but, you know, it was the real deal. Like I'm interacting. These are grapes that I grew. These are grapes that I, I had a preschool going here at my school. The, pre, the kids stomped on the grapes and had so much fun. And, you know, so it's like, it, it's real life is what it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I just think of my own uh, family and friends. Every single person I know who, who's ever just grown anything that they actually ended up eating. Uh, like, you can't replicate that, that, that expression of pride. Yeah, a friend of mine is a, you know, he's like this Wall Street banker and he grew his own cucumbers. And he's like, this is my cucumber. You know, I made this or I grew this and I ate it. You know, so I I think like that's just kind of like a micro example of of what uh, what I've seen uh, just in in day to day relations uh, with my own friends and family. And and, and what you're describing sounds like like really building upon that. And that's what I heard in, in your first description of, of permaculture, um, an evolution of our relationship as individuals to the world around us. I think there's, there's a lot of discourse on environmentalism, a lot of discourse on climate change, and a lot of it, even if, if you study it, can still leave you feeling very detached from the actual things we're talking about. And, and what I find very provocative of, of what you're presenting is a way to develop attachment, develop engagement um, so that, you know, kind of these amorphous terms that we throw around like environment are not amorphous anymore. They're, they're things that you're touching with your hands. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, I, I would say it's extremely empowering to be aware that you have just sequestered carbon yourself on your land in your backyard you've just created more topsoil while growing all this amazing food like your friend with his cucumbers and you know of course permaculture is is really trying to be a little more intense and and intentional and um you know you might have a hundred or two hundred cucumbers in your permaculture system ideally, although some years you never know, and you've got that's part of the participation is observing what works and what doesn't work. But I would say yes, it's it's extremely empowering in that it's a hands-on DIY, do it yourself, get your hands dirty, 
um, anyone can do it anywhere kind of modality. Um, and it really, um, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a great quote, um, I think it's by Graham Barnett, which says permaculture is a revolution disguised as organic gardening. Um, so it's, it's okay. a revolution of how you engage with the world. Yeah, it seems like another thing that struck me is that, like a lot of what you're discussing. It seems like this radical um, back to the future type of approach to living our lives. That uh, you know, I mean, you, you think about the the dramatic changes that that have taken place in the 20th century through the present, and and they're not really reflective of the grand arc of human experience. And there's a lot of wisdom in the human experience that preceded the 20th century. Um, and, and a lot of what I hear you talking about is, is reconnecting and, and rediscovering that wisdom um, and, and just understanding how things evolved the way they did without uh, so many external inputs that, um, that maybe weren't necessary, that you know, help us in certain ways, but, but maybe have kind of obscured our, and clouded our knowledge in other ways. Well, I, I would definitely agree with what you just said, um, which is that, uh, you know, if you look at all the progress for the modern world, people are people feel more disconnected than ever um, for the so-called progress. And so much of the progress is, you know, in, you know, I mean, if you look at the industrial era, which is like from about 1850, which is, um, you know, there was some some great labor saving um, inventions, you know, to have like the steam driven engine and you could suddenly build trains and have tractors and then you can have automobiles. There's all these great improvements. Um, but you know, then the, uh, the lifestyle changes that went alongside it, um, uh, suddenly people are driving to some job and maybe they don't even like that job or, and then they're living very disconnected from their neighbors and, so there's just been a lot of disconnection from nature and from each other with this, with this sense of progress. And I think what permaculture does is it gets you back in touch, you know, right to the earth, right wherever you are. And then, um, you know, the thing that I like to say is, that, you know, it's really fun to do this, but it's more fun to do it with friends. So, um, and, and it's more, you know, a lot of permaculture is about resilience. And we start to realize that it, it's, it's only resilient if we actually have more people than just ourselves doing it together. Yeah, I'd like to talk with you more about, about the communal aspect of permaculture when we come back from break. Um, this is Max Slobes sitting in for Matthew Matter. I'm speaking with Ruth Hor Bruce Horwitz of Ripe Landscapes. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. Hello, this is Max Slove sitting in for Matthew Mattern on Night and Heal America with Matt Mattern. I'm speaking today with Bruce Horowitz of Ripe Landscapes about permaculture. Bruce, in our, in our last segment, uh, we discussed 
the, the like the concept of how or the ways in which permaculture can create connection on an individual level between an individual person and the environment, but also uh, we, we started to touch on how it can build connection on a communal level. Um, what are some of the ways in which, or how are some of the ways in which permaculture can develop community uh, between people? Um, well, I mean, permaculture is a nonpartisan activity, first of all. Um, that is so, rare in today's world. <laughs> yes. Um, so, you know, and I mean, I do think that, uh, you know, when I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm kind of a, an interesting breed. I, I call myself a bleeding heart libertarian. Um, so um, I would say you that. Matt Matter. Huh? Uh, I, I, I think you just described Matt Matter. I, yeah. I, don't, know, I, don't, I don't want to speak for Matt. Okay, but there we go. Bleeding, similar to bleeding heart person. libertarians unite yeah. with everyone else. Um, is that, um, you know, everyone cares about the environment, really. And um, so everyone, everyone wants a good environment for their kids. And, you know, everyone wants clean water, clean air. Um, I think at this point, just about everybody is realizing that we need to make some changes as a, as a, as a society, um, uh, really on a global level. Um, and so, for example, a, a lot of like what I've noticed, for example, um, you know, I have a little urban farmstead and I do a little CSA, which is a community supported agriculture thing where people buy boxes of food from me on a weekly basis. And um, I have a lot of friends who are a little bit bigger scale who uh, go to farmer's markets and they sell their food at farmer's markets. Um, so farmer's markets are a great place for people to connect with their food and connect with each other. And if, if you go to almost any town that has a good farmer's market, you can see that becomes a social hub. and more and more farmers are starting to integrate permaculture practices into their farming. That's what I've noticed. So, you know, people who are doing organic farming start to realize that, wow, I can get better yields if I start doing things in a more polycultural way. So if I integrate some fruit trees in for shade and some berry bushes that I don't have to just have those, I could have some kale growing under those fruit trees or bushes. I could have strawberries there. I could have blackberries growing up them. So I've noticed a trend of more permaculture in the small organic farming movement. Um, and then that leads uh, to more food at farmer's markets and more people going to farmer's markets, which I think are this incredible way to build community around food because, and you know, I think we've all noticed in the last 10, 20, 30 years, the local food movement has just started to explode. And really, when, when COVID hit, for example, everyone started gardening. You couldn't even find any seeds because people's natural response to crisis was, uh-oh, I better secure my food. What happens if there's no food in the supermarket tomorrow? So I think there's been a new awareness about local food. And I know, I mean, I'm in a little farmer's program here, and like everyone's CSA has like doubled in the last two years. Um, and so... Um, and for example, in my courses, my permaculture courses, I've never had more people signing up than ever. So I think there's an, there's an awareness. Uh, with this crisis comes opportunity for people to become more aware of food being the central component of life, really, obviously. Um, but it's also the central component of um, your local economy or even your security on your land. If you, you know, just I, I've noticed more and more people tearing up lawns and putting in gardens. I mean, I get more work than ever 
just, you know, transforming people's backyards into little mini permaculture systems um, because they, they, you know, people are tired of, they realize, wow, I've got this land. I could be doing something instead of just having a lawn here. So I install permaculture systems in people's backyards. So, you know, my motto is, is saving the world one backyard at a time with permaculture um, as far as my ripe landscapes business goes. That's what I, I'm so glad that you brought up um, you brought up COVID because that was one of the things that, that crossed my mind before we started speaking was that um, so many people turned to gardening in one way or another during COVID um, and, and whether that uh, affected um, people reaching out to you for, for consultation. Um, oh, I mean, more than ever, really. I mean, at, at first, not so much because people were scared. People were socially isolated by the lockdowns and the masks and the distancing and stuff. But now people are reaching out to me left and right because uh, they, they want to grow their food and they've heard that permaculture is a really efficient way. I mean, I, I advertise my business as, you know, highly productive, low maintenance systems. So that, that touches on what you mentioned before about less work. Um, and, um, and like I said, in terms of just my little farm part, which is just a small part of my permaculture system is a market garden. And some of that some of that is in rows because it makes sense, but I have fruit trees interplanted for shade. I have different flowers on the edges to attract pollinators uh, and, and for beauty and to create bouquets, et cetera. Um, and like that, that is going gangbusters in terms of the demand just for local organic or beyond. I mean, my produce is what, what I call beyond organic produce. Um, and you know, and then in terms of actually building community on a bigger level, I'm involved with some intentional community projects. And I would say almost any intentional community slash eco village uh, that you would run into, they're doing some form of permaculture because there's, there's almost anyone who really wants to kind of get out of the mainstream matrix in terms of living in a house in a suburb with a nuclear family model and is, is interested in living in community is going to realize that we need to get our food together. It's in, you know, it's the same thing as when COVID hit people realize when they get our food together. Um, and so I, I really think that local food is the key because it builds local economies. And I think that having food growing in your landscape, and of course it's not just food, it's medicine, it's fiber, it's building materials. Um, and also, you know, permaculture, as I said, it's not just about food. It, 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 you know, it's the set of principles and it's the set of ethics. But the principles are, you know, for example, if you were going to lay out an eco village, you would use permaculture principles to create efficient design because permaculture is really all about like, you know, and this really touches on what you said. It's really about um, efficient use of energy and efficient harvest of resources. So. If you were going to lay out an intentional community, you would use permaculture principles to decide where the houses go, where the solar panels go, where the ponds go, where the communal sauna goes. I mean, permaculture would inform your overall design because it's really actually, and I, I didn't mention this, but it's a design modality. It's about how do you design a piece of land? How do you design your life? How do you design a, a society, really, using some principles that are very universal with, and, and they're called from nat natural systems because Nature is incredibly efficient. If we look at how nature evolves, like if we go back to that tropical rainforest, but if we look at any kind of natural system, I mean, we're talking about almost 5 billion years of R&D to become maximally efficient. 
So if, if, if so, permaculture called out these principles from natural systems, and it turns out natural systems are elegant and intelligent and efficient. Um, and so we can use those principles to design our human systems, whether it's agriculture, the layout of a town or a city or a village or an eco village, um, or even like your house or your living room or your kitchen. These principles are universal. And what they do is they allow for um, ease of movement, efficient harvesting of energy, efficient use of energy. Um, and the cool thing is there's not a lot of straight lines in permaculture. It's very curvy. It's very elegant. It's, it's very beautiful because that's how nature is. You don't see a lot of straight lines in nature. You see nature, nature has this very elegant beauty to it and also a very human scale to the way nature grows and also the way the speed that nature does. You know, there's some sayings like nature does not hurry, but everything gets done. Right. That's like an ancient Chinese proverb. Um, and so when we start applying permaculture to the design of any aspect of our life, we start to scale things in a way that our nervous systems are already adapted to. And so you might find yourself biking more rather than going 75 on the highway. Um, or you might find yourself walking more or spending more time out in your garden. These things are all good for your nervous system. They're good for you. Just, you know, they're just healthy. Um, and so a lot of the things that we've gotten used to in modern society, I, I think I would call them maladaptations and we all do it. We all got to get from A to Z super fast and we jump in our cars and we zoom away and we go on the freeway. But really, our nervous systems are not actually set for that. Um, and it, once we start getting out in nature um, and we start tuning into the biorhythms of nature, I believe that that uh, will create more happiness and health for us not only in and, and our environment it's just it's more of like we become less separate from our environment by by living and doing permaculture Bruce, I, in, in our next segment i, I want to build on what you were just talking about i want to talk about how we get people more connected to their environment through permaculture and other modalities how we can use leverage permaculture to bring environment to people that would not maybe consider their their uh, where they live to be an environmental landscape. Um, and then also talk about how, how you and Ripe Landscapes um, uh, approach these things and, and the services that you offer. So we'll do that in the next segment. Um, for now, uh, we'll take a break. I have Max Slove sitting in for Matt Mattern on Unite the Heal America in conversation with Bruce Horowitz of Ripe Landscapes. Uh, we'll be back in a moment. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. This is Max Sloves. I'm sitting in for Matt Mattern today on Night and Heal America with Matt Mattern. 
speaking with Bruce Horowitz of Ripe Landscapes about permaculture. Bruce, with one of the things that, that, that you were describing was how permaculture can get people back to nature, um, but people live in different places. So you, know, you have people in very rural environments, people live in uh, your classic American suburbia. And then, you know, I, I mean, some would say that the most environmental thing is for people is for infill, for people to, to concentrate in urban environments. Um, it, it, are there particular places where permaculture is best suited? Um, what are some of the different ways that permaculture can be explored in these different um, different types of places that people tend to congregate and live? Okay, well, I mean, I like to say that you can do permaculture anywhere um, because... I have a feeling you were going to say that, and I'm very glad you did. Okay, um, so um, nature exists everywhere. Even if you live in an apartment and you have a potted plant, you could start doing permaculture in your potted plant. Um, and you in the suburbs, suburbs, you know, are maybe one of the best places to actually, to actually do permaculture. Um, there, one of the founders, David Holmgren has a whole movement called retro suburbia, which is about retrofitting the suburbs into small homesteads and integrating like, you know, city blocks or suburban blocks into uh, more permaculture kind of systems. Um, so, I mean, the one thing I've noticed is that everyone has an affinity towards plants. I don't think I've ever met anybody who didn't have at least a potted plant or a shrub in their front yard or backyard. Um, so it's really about choosing what you're going to grow and then engaging with it. And what I've found, for example, is that um, that engagement encourages other people around you to do it. For example, um, about 10 years ago, I moved into an apartment and um, it was like a little fourplex. I, uh, you know, for various reasons, ended up there for, for about a year and a half. And I immediately uh, started gardening the, the parking strips out by the road. So I put in some, some garden beds there and I put up a greenhouse in the parking lot. And the incredible thing started happening that all these other people in this apartment complex who weren't growing any other, they weren't growing food. Suddenly they were like, Hey, what are you doing there? Oh, wow. Oh, can I help? You know? And like, next thing I knew, like everyone was out there gardening together because, and the kids were like, Hey, can I have that carrot? And these are kids that were like living on like candy. And so it was like, it, it was like a reawakening of something that was already in them from their DNA. Um, and so I really believe that you can do it anywhere. And, you know, even if you're in a super dense city, there are community gardens everywhere. So even if it's just getting involved with the community garden and growing food, I think the first step, I mean, for me, when I first got into permaculture and it's 25 years ago, I had no idea about growing food. So I just grew like one, I was living in San Francisco at the time. I grew one potted plant and I was like, wow, there's something magical. Just like that wall street, uh, financial guy growing that cucumber. There is something magical about planting a seed, nurturing it, seeing it grow, and then getting a harvest from it. And it, it's like, it's that Jack and the Beanstalk moment that I think it's, it is hardwired in us to do that. So we are gardeners. I really believe that the blueprint that we have as human beings is that our job description is to be gardeners of this beautiful planet. Um, and then, you know, like I said, permaculture can help the, it can inform the design of anything. I mean, literally from like 
you know, the dashboard of your car, you can apply permaculture principles and put things in a different spot, um, you know, based on something we call zonation, which is like zone one or the things you use the most often to zone five, which you never use. Um, so like anybody can do permaculture anywhere. And it, it's like a snowball effect. Um, you start doing it and then you want to do more and then you'll just, you know, you'll just be led because I really believe that nature is our ally and there are forces and sort of beings that we're not aware of that are encouraging us to make this shift back to really being stewards of this planet, taking care of the environment. And, and I really do think it could bring everyone together because there's so much work to do on this planet. Like if we, everyone got together and just decided to tackle the um, climate change, all we'd have to do is just plant a bunch of permaculture systems everywhere and we could handle it. We don't need any big fancy solutions. It could be a complete grassroots solution. Um, and in fact, I've done some studying around this, which is that um, if you get a certain percentage of people doing something, it spreads to everyone. It's like the hundredth monkey theory. Um, and so I think if we got 25% of the plant doing permaculture, and remember a lot of people like small farmers in Mexico or Vietnam or somewhere, they're still doing it. They never stopped. Um, so if we got 25% of the planet doing this, suddenly everyone would be doing it. Um, climate change would be solved. We'd all be happy, healthier, and we'd all be having fun growing food with our neighbors. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, because I, I think we, we, we overcomplicate things, you know, yeah. and, and I think uh what, what you've described to me is because i think a lot of times we get the perception that we have to give something up to pursue a new solution and what you've described is like you, you don't have to stop doing anything you do but you, you can add this into your life um and i think to me that that's sort of the win-win the to to permaculture is that um is it, it, it there's you haven't described anything that's a huge sacrifice. You, you've, you've described a lot of gains. You've described a lot of things that are added to your life um, in, in terms of, you know, individual interaction with the environment, um, producing food for yourself and, and the joy that comes from that. The aesthetics, you know, everyone I know who has some form of permaculture or is growing food in any way in their own home, one of the things that's really striking about is how beautiful it is. Um, and, you know, you're not paying a landscaper to, to, to do these kind of like random things. You're just, you're just growing food and there, there's kind of an inherent, uh, beauty to that, um, that all makes yeah, there, sense. Yeah. I, you know, you totally nailed it. It's really, it's like an add on thing. I mean, you know, I would say the only thing you might need to give up is a couple of shows on TV, uh, you know, a couple of Netflix binges to go out and plant up a bunch of food or, you know, plant up a little food forest because we we call these things food forests. These polycultures we call them either forest gardens or food forests, but they can be really small. You could just have like one fruit tree and one blueberry bush and some comfrey and rosemary and something like that. Um, but yeah, you you know you get you it, it requires just starting and doing it. Um, there's so many YouTubes out there right now. So anyone permaculture is you know if if you just want to get the basics. You can how, find how, can, so how can you help? Okay, so you can find so much information online. The way that I help is if people hire me to like help them set up a system. So that's what I do in, in when I'm working in ripe landscapes. And you know, I've done some big designs for retreat centers. I've worked with some eco villages. 
So, you know, anyone out there wants to start an eco village or retreat center, get in touch with me. Um, but also just backyards. Um, sometimes it's just a little phone consult, but usually it's like going and seeing it. I do different levels of consults where, you know, and I'm getting a lot of work doing this lately where people are just like, wow, I want to grow some food. I want to like, want my landscape to be beautiful. I'm tired of this lawn. Um, and they hire me and I just give them some ideas of what they can do. I check out their soil, figure out basically putting things in the right place is really what permaculture is all about. And then, um, I teach more in depth, uh, plans for people who are really ready for the huge personal paradigm shift is how I put it. If you're ready for a revolution in terms of how you see the world and you're ready to really get an operating system that's the super upgraded ecological operating system of, oh my God, I heard about permaculture. I, I watched some YouTubes. This is how I want to live. This is what I want to do with my life. I want to spend my life putting it, you know, making permaculture systems where I can raise my own food. I can, you know, have medicine. I can do this with a bunch of people. So we teach something called permaculture design certification courses. Um, I do about two of these a year. It's like a two or three week immersive course. We have one coming up on the Big Island of Hawaii, November 1st through the 21st. It's at a place called Kumakahi Village, K-U-M-U-K-A-H-I village.com. There's information about it there. Um, you can come there, camp out with your friends. It's like the most fun you'll ever have in your life. And then my company, ripelandscapes.com, um, I'm available for consults. I do travel. I, you know, I live in Bellingham, Washington, so I, I mainly focus in the Pacific Northwest in Hawaii. But you know, look me up, send me an email, ripelandscapes at gmail.com. I'm I'm always happy to talk about this, um, and always happy to point you in the direction of a local permaculturalist, or give you some advice, um, or you know, help you create the site or eco village of your dreams. I've I've been on your website, and and I. There's this diagram that shows how you walk people through your system of design, and uh, just just that diagram alone is is so fun to look at. How you know there's there's all these starts and stops of of input and assessment on on you know what what works, but also what the person wants. And um, um, I, I I can only imagine how fantastic it, it will be to join you in in the Big Island of Hawaii for. Um, for your training at the Kumukahi Village, um, Bruce, I, I have so much more that I, I, I would want to ask you and yeah. dive into. Uh, but for now, I'll just say thank you. I, I really enjoyed this conversation and learning about permaculture and, and, and what you do. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. All right, this was uh, Max Slope sitting in for Matthew Mattern, speaking with Bruce Horowitz of Ripe Landscapes. Uh, do go to his website rawpermaculture.org um, and look for his training on the Big Island of Hawaii at Kumukahi Village. Um, until next time, thank you so much. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968.